Hello and welcome to episode 40, the big 4-0 of the Quiet Mark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, CMO at QuietMark. And QuietMark is the independent global certification program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. Through scientific testing and assessment, QuietMark identifies the quietest products in multiple categories spanning many sectors, including home appliances and technology, building sector materials, and commercial sector products. Today we're cooking in the kitchen, and the title of this episode is Quiet in the Kitchen, and I'm joined by two very special guests, Steve Punter, Managing Director at Magimix UK Limited, and none other than the King of Cakes himself, Eric Lanlard, who's a master patissier and owner of Cake Boy Limited. He's an author, TV presenter, backup trust patron, and a future Virgin Galactic astronaut. So before I introduce our guests to the show, let me read a little bit about them, starting first with Steve. In a Housewares magazine feature dated the 7th of November 2016, I read, Kitchen appliance brand Magimix has appointed Steve Punter as MD of its UK business. And the company said, With a successful career in consumer appliance and technology markets and working with brands including Gibson Innovations, Philips and Henkel, Steve is bringing his extensive electronics industry knowledge to Magimix, where he will be responsible for overseeing the UK management, brand development and product roadmap. At that time, it's said that Steve will work closely with the full UK team at Magimix's headquarters in Surrey, with a particular focus on driving product development. And at that time, the brand was promising to add some innovative and groundbreaking products to their range. Steve commented saying, I'm thrilled to be joining the Magimix team and look forward to both bringing my experience to the table and learning from the dynamic Magimix team. As the number one premium food processor brand in the market, the Magimix name acts as a mark of quality and I look forward to helping build and maintain its fan base and credentials in the UK. Steve added, returning from three and a half years in Hong Kong to the idyllic town of Godalming, where the company headquarters are and where I spent my first 30 years makes it all the more special for both me and my family. And as I said, Steve is joined by King of Cakes, Eric Lanlard, Master Patissier and owner of Cake Boy Limited. Eric Lanlard has certainly made his mark in the UK both as a French patissier and a much-loved celebrity chef. His career so far reads like a pastry chef fairy tale, having previously worked for the French Navy and for the Rue Brothers and created masterpiece celebration cakes for the likes of the Beckhams and the Queen. He has changed the face of British patisserie and has been rightfully twice crowned the winner of the prestigious Continental Patissier of the Year at the British Baking Awards. With his renowned Cake Boy Boutique, his popular TV shows, four published books and working as a brand ambassador for Baking Mad, it's a wonder he has any time from the oven. But as you've heard, he's taking one giant leap from the oven to venture into outer space as a future Virgin Galactic astronaut. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. How are you both? Yeah, really good, thanks. Great. Well, starting with you, please, Steve, introduce yourself to the show like they do on on University Challenge, your name, job title and company. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for having me. Uh, My name's Steve Punter, and I'm the Managing Director of Magimix UK. And I'm Eric Nanlard, and I'm a master patissier, and I'm the chef owner of Cake Boy Limited in London. 
Well, thank you both so much for giving up time today to join us on the Quiet Mark podcast. Episode 40, the big 4-0. Congratulations. I know, something to be proud of. Steve, I'd love to start with you, please, if you don't mind. Start with the questions with Steve and then bring you into the conversation as well, Eric. But as we know, Magic Mix of products which are Quiet Mark certified. And in, in my introduction, I took us back to 2016 when you'd first joined Magic Mix, a company that you described in ERT magazine as the Rolex of food processors. I really like that description. But bring us up to date. How's it going there for you? I love the way you've dragged up a quote of mine from six years ago. That's <laughs> quite embarrassing. But the good news is I'm not embarrassed that you took that quote because I still stand by that statement. And I think anyone who's experienced Magimix in their life, and there's millions of users all over the world, they they love Magimix for a very simple reason. It's built to last. It does what it says it should do. And for me, the reason I said that quote was because on the inside, it's a solid and reliable and it will never let you down. So, Like a good watch, you know, you can rely on it to tell the time. You can rely on a Magimix to always be there. But, you know, unlike a watch, which, uh, you know, you wear on your wrist, this sits in your kitchen and it's there for you to use whenever you want. We always call it the sort of sous chef of, of the personal kitchen, your right-hand man, there to do what you want it to do. And that's really important given the, the changing lifestyle. So how's it gone? It's gone really well in the last six years. And even though we've had some really turbulent times in the last couple of years, I think, you know, making food at home, sitting down, eating family meals, trying to keep that nucleus of the family unit through food is is so important to Magimix and and using a Magimix, a food processor in, in everyday life is, is very important. That's why Quiet Mark is so important because the product has to be pleasurable to use. You know, you buy well, you buy once, you invest in a Magimix, it comes and looks after you day in, day out. And and part of that isn't just the, the physical, it's also the audible side of things, the noise, mm. the, the sound it makes, it's got to deliver on that. And, you know, we've got a, a commercial grade motor in there and, and that's what we stand by, our 30-year guarantee. But that commercial grade uh, will deliver a commercial grade sound, which isn't a high noise pitch or anything like that. It's a very, I don't know, delicate sound. I don't know how to describe a motor running, really. Steve, but... I can describe it on a video. That, do you remember when You've I ca- got the video, yeah. <laughs> You'll remember when I came to your head office in Godalming uh, two years ago. You showed me this fascinating device, which on the right has a traditional motor and on the left has the Quietmark certified Magic Mix motor. And should we just play that video quickly? Let's listen yeah. back to that. So <laughs> with your finger on the button, Steve, back two years ago, pressing the traditional motor first. And now you're going to Magimix. I would say one screams at you and the other one hums. Yeah, that's night and day. And and the challenge we've got is how do you how do you replicate that in store? You know, when people go to buy their food processor, they might see them in a John Lewis store or something. It's very hard to say oh, that one's bad sound, that one's good sound. I think that's why I really appreciate what Quiet Mark stands for. And it's a reassurance that the product will is, is best in class mm. in sound. It's funny you say that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the Bob Marley exhibition at the Saatchi Gallery. I went over the road to Peter Jones on Sloan Square immediately afterwards to check out the basement and see where the Quiet Mark was on display. And I will say thank you for having it displayed so beautifully on the Magimix boxes of your products, which is great. I also saw 
quiet mark on display alongside various NDAs like fridges, um, laundry, etc. I met a chap from Mila called uh, Makesh, who's their sales guy, and there was the quiet mark logo by the price sheet. And I said to Makesh, "Be honest with me, Makesh. How often do you mention that in your sales?" He said, "Simon." Honestly, it's part of every conversation I have when I'm making a sale of our washing machines. So it really does help elevate sales. Like you say, if you can't demo the sound, you need something that tells you visually this is best in class. And it's not just decibels, as we heard with that demo. It's sound quality, isn't it? Yeah, and it's very difficult to quantify sound because, yes, it's it's a bit like weight, isn't it? You know, if a, a man built like Schwarzenegger weighs the same as someone who's very overweight and needs sure. to go on a- but uh, and so just saying your x kilograms or x decibels doesn't give the quality of that uh, measurement and so i think that's why it's important the quiet mark uh, does have that um, awareness on our products because over and you know we've got our credibility on how the machine was made is and its guarantees and the sound is that part of that usage criteria that like i said in store it's really hard to to get a hands-on experience you know if you go and test drive a car, you listen to the engine purring, don't you? And all that, or you rev the engine and go, oh, listen to that, doesn't sound beautiful. You don't get to do that necessarily in a, in a store. So uh, we certainly do bump up that that uh, quiet mark credibility and, and, yeah, motor guarantee, spare parts availability, excellent customer care and quiet mark. They're the main talking points for me when you're talking about Magimix. And I think fans of Magimix the world round really appreciate that quality and and mm. whenever i've done shows it's amazing i have half the people coming up to me aren't here to buy anything from us they just really want to say thank you to us for for making such a great product that they take delight in using whether they bought it 50 years ago or five minutes ago mm. um they know that they've invested and bought something that gives them delight and 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 longevity and i'm, I'm really that's why i'm as it, as buzzed as I am now, as I was said <laughs> that really cheesy quote six years ago, because <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be able to talk about Magimix to 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 people who are you know enjoying food and like who doesn't like food? You know, Eric Eric produces food for a living. I think I produce food for <laughs> uh, just through the the pleasures of a Magimix. talked about cooks from around the world we've got someone who's from around the world and going to outer space as i said in the introduction um not not on the podcast no he's not (laughs) no where are you eric you're not in outer space right now are you houston calling houston calling eric uh in battersea ah which is where cake boy is right yeah 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 well welcome to the show and eric thank you very much for uh taking the time to join us and uh you're benefiting from steve's inventions in your own kitchen right yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're big fans. Um, I mean, as Steve's mentioned, it you know, Magimix is not just for um, home cooking and um, home baking. In my case, um, it's well known as well with uh, professional. You know, the um, um, it's part of a professional life as well. They do do some serious uh, kit for professional kitchen as well. So, um, which actually are very similar to uh, the one that everybody use at home. So we know the product and we use them. I can definitely affirm and they do confirm and they last for life. 
that's really good to hear. And I want to hear a lot more about the way that you use them, uh, specifically at Cake Boy. But if you don't mind, Eric, I'd really love to go back in time. We did it with Steve to 2016, but I'm going to go even further back with you because I received some really great uh, details about you from your team. Uh, Gene sent me a pack and I read a few of them. They're, you're there in a Hello magazine and there's this quote. I loved it. It said, I blame my mother. She was a big fan of Hyacinth Bouquet. She loved an afternoon tea and that's all how it started. So I'm going to say thanks to your mother, but I want to know more about this story. Tell that story for us and a bit more of where you went from Hyacinth Bouquet to where you are today. Yeah. Well, I mean, my mum is not a fan of um, uh, to uh, Hyacinth Bouquet. Uh, I think <laughs> if she knew what it was all about, I think she'd probably be a little bit upset. <laughs> uh, she does behave like Hyacinth uh, <laughs> Bouquet. That's why she was, uh, she was nicknamed... Um, I think it was the Metro newspapers. I did an interview years ago, and they, um, the journalist said, oh, your mom sounds like Aysen Bouquet. And before we knew, it was part of the article. Oh. Um, but then I realized it's true. Mom, I, I grew up with my mom, who was a, um, the queen of um, hospitality. So she was you know, great at throwing parties. Not the best cook as well. I will always say that. <laughs> she was the queen of sheets. Um, she was always ready to, uh, to buy some food from um, the local deli or caterers and pass it on to be um, to be her own but she certainly did things well and she was a big anglophile ah. um, and slight child abuse every summer <laughs> uh, sometimes two three times in the summer we will go across the um, the channel on overnight ferry uh, nothing glamorous just to land early morning in Plymouth or Portsmouth and then to jump on the bus to go somewhere because she read in one of the magazines then it was the best tea to have afternoon tea. Oh, I see. Uh, and you were from so Brittany. We'll in- you were from Brittany, right? So it's not like you're coming from the south of France. No, exactly. It wasn't too far, but it was still <laughs> quite a, a, a journey. And imagine when you're a teenager, it's the last thing you want to do. Yeah. We're going to England again, Eric. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Again, we're going to have afternoon tea. But right. I think the funniest part is when we came back, from that middle of nowhere, and we arrived in Portsmouth or uh, um, uh, Plymouth with the two port, mm-hmm. and we will go to all the shops to buy the crockery, the tea, and everything to reproduce that afternoon tea to um, a friend or our family, and she will set up everything uh, as perfect. And I remember driving for hours um, <laughs> around town in Brit- back in Brittany to look for clotted cream, which nobody have ever heard of uh, oh, really? clotted cream. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we never found any. So we have to use a uh, whipped cream instead. Oh, sacrilege. I see. Did, and you drink, so- did you drink tea out of a china cup? Uh, did, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we did. And with, yeah. your, with your little finger, your little pink. Um, I didn't go to that detail. <laughs> <laughs> but it simply um, opened my eyes. So when I came to London, I, I, um, I definitely um, spent all my money, my little money I had at those days uh, to do afternoon tea properly. And I realized it was a little bit better than t- local tea room. And um, I started to go to Claridge's and the Savoy and uh, experience the thing and uh, become a big fan of afternoon tea. Amazing. So from the domestic setting, where did the first footsteps foray into the professional kitchen? Well, that's a good question. Like I said, nobody in the family is really in the, uh, in the industry. Um, I truly believe when um, I was born into a um, mixing bowl with a whisk and a rolling pin in, um, in my hand. Yeah. Um, apparently from um, 
my parents and uh, my parents' friends from the age of five or six, I proclaimed to the world that I will become a pâtissier. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did make the mission to, uh, to do it. I uh, started baking from a very early age and very uh, enthusiastic. So uh, no cookies or brownies for me. It was straight to trying to make eclairs or everything I fancy from the windows of the pâtisserie, I tried to make it. And of course, it was disasters after disasters. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I learned the hard way then, um, you know, you need to learn your um, your basics. Uh, but it was great fun and, um, and I did make sure it, it did happen. I mean, I even had a cake stall when I was... Um, eight i think eight or nine really uh, and it it was doing very well uh, i used to do it on the saturday because when we uh, finished school in the morning so i used to bake and then i used to put a little table outside and sell it and everybody was buying it and i mean i'm sure they're all lying pretending it was really good but i don't <laughs> think it was that good but i was making a lot of money till my mom decided well now i need to charge you for the ingredients oh. and i think by that time i should have made the decision to not become a pâtissier and work <laughs> maybe a lawyer or hedge fund manager or something like that. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I realized it was no money to be made uh, by selling cakes on the, on the pavement. So. <laughs> yeah, but then I read that you then went to a local pâtissier. You're like age 10 and you say, I want to be a, t- a pâtissier. Yeah, so I was, um, I was keen to, um, to do an apprenticeship. So um, our main town, which is Quimper, had uh, many pâtisseries. But it was only one who uh, did this chocolate from scratch, oh. which uh, and I was already fascinated by chocolate at the time. So I wanted to do um, my apprentice uh, apprenticeship there, which is a two years uh, apprenticeship. So uh, one day when we were shopping, I dragged my mom there. And that was the pâtisserie we only used for big birthdays, the one finishing with a zero or a five and uh, Christmas, because it was the most expensive in town. So. Of course, when I told my mom, come on, let's go in and uh, let's put my name down. So, uh, you know, because I knew it was a bit of a waiting queue, um, waiting list to become an apprentice there. She said, trust you to pick the most expensive pâtisserie. <laughs> because basically in her head, she was thinking, now we're going to have to buy every week our cake from them because we have to be nice to them. So they look after you. But um, we went in and, you know, they really, to their credit, they really looked after us. And it was like the traditional setting Madame was running the, the shop on the mm-hmm, front mm-hmm. and um, Monsieur was the um, a chef in the back. Oh, so he came out and um, we had a good chat and he said, well, you will have to wait till uh, you need to be 16 to do your apprenticeship and you need to pass all your exams. And, uh, and he did say that magic um, uh, phrase, which at the time I, I didn't take notice of it. But later on, uh, I really understood when I started mm-hmm. working there and um, he said, you need to be serious about it, you know. He said, "This is not just a quick escape from um, from schooling or college. Um, it's you know we're going to invest our time in you for two years, me and my team. And um, really, you need to be serious about it. So I promise I will be serious, and I, that's what I really wanted to do. Excellent. And, and I understood it, you know. When I started there, they really did. Yeah, they for two years they." It was like breeding um, a racehorse, you know, the best horse, racehorse. Um, every time someone was doing something new in the kitchen, they would say, Eric, stop what you're doing. Come here. Have a look at this or try to do this. And uh, um, it was very, really invested in um, their time to make, turn me into um, into a winner. And um, which um, 
which it did. Uh, it did happen. So I came out with, uh, I passed my exams, yep. which was always a good start. But then I came out number one of the county and then uh, number one of Brittany or the, uh, the whole area, which automatically enter you for the national uh, championships where I came second. So, oh. of wow. course, someone from Paris have to win. Uh, the Parisian always win. Always the uh, Parisians. But still, but your first competition, you're coming second. That's not a bad start. I know. Yeah, it's not bad for someone from Brittany. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. And then from Brittany, sail ships, the Navy, the Rue brothers. Tell us that section of your story. Yeah, so, um, I, well, in my head, I thought I was going to stay there. And um, I was already, I had planned to revolutionize uh, Monsieur Legrand's patisserie. <laughs> I, I haven't told him at the time, but I could see he needed a little bit of a zhushing up. So I could see we could do some changes. Um, but no, he kicked me out. He <laughs> said, no, sorry, this is it. Next week you are out of here. Uh, time for the next apprentice and for you to spread your wing. Yeah. And um, so I thought, okay, let's, um, let's go. And um, I wanted to improve my chocolate making. Mm -hmm. So I got um, a job in Luxembourg in a very famous um, chocolaterie there for, um, for a year. Yeah. which was a big eye opener and I mean it was you know they had like many shops so it was a really really cool place and then I got called out to um, do my national service I am that old um, <laughs> which was a great experience all my friend was pretending they missing legs or limbs or they could not walk <laughs> or something to try to avoid it um, or definitely asking to be as close as possible to their mothers so they could do the washing, uh, their washing. But <laughs> me, it was the opposite. I, okay. I actually went there on a mission thinking, okay, I have to give one year of my life to, um, to my country. Let's make the, I can't escape it. Let's make the best of it. So when it was time to choose where you wanted to go and you knew that anything you pick, you know, no chance was going to happen. Mm -hmm. I pick everything who was, you know, on board a ship, in the submarines, um, overseas, anything that was actually taking me away from my uh, my parents and my friends, anything extraordinary, then uh, I would get a great experience mm. out of it. Mm. And due to my result uh, during my apprenticeship, they uh, they came back and they offered me two positions at the time. And um, one of them was uh, the Elysee Palace in uh, in Paris, so where the president of France uh, lived and entertained. So that was one plan, one offer, and the other offer was the flagship of the French Navy, which is a bit, I think in the UK you will describe it a bit the equivalent of the Royal Yacht Britannia, okay. a bit of a floating embassy who goes around the world every year um, telling the world and how marvellous uh, <laughs> and fabulous France is. Yeah. Um, so I was a bit like in a dilemma, I was like, mm -hmm. oh my God, the president of France or going away on the on this very famous ship. So I asked the, um, the officer, who was actually a naval officer, what will you do? I said, what will you do if I, if I was me? So he said, you know, easy. He said, if you go to the Elysee Palace, you're going to be peeling apples for 12 months. He said, the, the president's got his own pastry chef, he's on his own team, you're not going to touch any of his food for a year. It'll be good on your CV, but that's it. He said, on board the ship, it will just be you. You'll be on charge, entertaining everybody. And, um, you know, you travel and everything. So, and that was my first choice anyway. So I picked the, um, the ship. And funny enough, 
when we left for our annual trip, it was six months away, mm-hmm. uh, doing all for the world. Guess who came on board and our first official dinner to wave goodbye to the national ship, the president of France. Wow. So I ticked all the boxes. And you didn't wow. just peel, and you didn't just peel his apples either. I know, and we didn't have, no. He had to bake Alaska. <laughs> that was his request. It was his favourite um, It was his favourite dessert. So that's what we, um, that's what I made. But he came back to the kitchen to say hello to, uh, to me and the other chef who was uh, the same, just came out from apprenticeship, 20 year old. And, um, and he gave us some beautiful um, gold um, cufflings with his crest on it, which I still wear today when uh, I got the occasion, because I think that was definitely one of my um, big time uh, in my life. One of the things I'd like to talk to you now about, Eric, because this is the Quiet Mark podcast and we talk about our relationship with sound, uh, I had a really good conversation on a previous episode with Ping Coombs, a Malaysian chef who won MasterChef, and she was telling me about the role of sound in her particular style of cookery. You're a patissier, and I really want to know, what is the role of sound in what you do, and does it help to have quiet appliances in your kitchen? Uh, certainly, because you know, pastry chef, us, we're not. Um, it's very different breed than the um, than regular chefs. Sure. Um, I mean, first of all, we considered ourselves more like alchemists. I mean, I don't know if you know that. And uh, when I teach, that's always my opening line, and uh, most people are a bit surprised. But the official name for a pastry kitchen in France, in any pâtisseries, and that's the official name. It's not um, if you do Google Translate, it will say cuisine. But actually, a pastry kitchen is called laboratoire, oh, the, the laboratory. laboratory. Oh, okay. So that's what you will talk about. You will say, oh, he's, he's in the lab. So because we think we're more alchemists, it's all about precision, concentration, sticking to the recipe, knowing how the ingredients work. So we love our peace and quiet, um, you know, compared to chefs who, you know, can be a little bit on edge and shouting at each other or <laughs> running around when he's... Um, lunchtime or dinner time and us is quite settled and that's why actually when we opened cake boy we gave up very quickly on the idea to an open kitchen because actually it would have been really boring uh, to watch because we are usually glued to our little space and working along or piping away and um, the quieter the better we do play a little bit of music in our lab nice Uh, usually it's uh, classical music or some very chill out yeah and then the rest is the equipment, you know, um, I don't know, what do you call it? Um, purring away, I will, uh, I will describe. So we've got the, the one we can't stop. So they are there all the time, like the noise of the fridge and the freezers um, are on and off. Um, but then after that, we have to bring some equipment in uh, sometimes, like the food processors, for example, or mixes. And it's quite interesting because when we've got someone new in a kitchen who is coming to do a work experiment or something, and they, they will get a bit, they think we're like magician because I could be in one side of the kitchen or the lab and having put, I don't know, six liters of cream in our big mixer. And I will go like, oh, can you stop the mixer, please? Because the cream is ready. And I say, how does he know? How does he know? He's got eyes, who, you know, who can see as far as that. 
but it's the noise, you know, you're so used to the machine. So you can hear the slight change of rhythm rhythm into the uh, the engine and you know that's when the cream is ready or the meringue is perfect at the right peak because the motor starts suddenly to slow down a little bit and start to find it a bit more difficult to uh, to whip to uh -huh. go through that the whipped cream or that perfect meringue so uh, you know all those noises help as well so you really do think that there is sound used in your preparation in the laboratory yeah definitely and even in the food sometimes the way you scoop smoothies and everything in it, a bit like those Rice Krispies when you put the milk or pop and things. Yeah. Some of the recipes, you know that it's just the noise of folding it or, or, or cutting through the mousse. You know if it's going to be perfect or if it's going to be good or if it's ready or set enough. You've talked about submarines. You've talked about cruiser ships. You're going into outer space. I want to know, are you going to be cooking up there? Tell, tell us about that. How what's what's this Virgin Galactic astronaut role that you're going to be uh, enjoying? So, and when? When is a good question. Uh, the only thing I can um, uh, say is um, I signed up right on the beginning when Branson um, uh, put it up there. Um, that's what's happened when you um, when you have uh, too many glass of vino um, <laughs> at lunch and uh, and you got a very clever salesperson. Um, <laughs> My other passion about a part of cooking is traveling and I love adventure. Um, so the, the idea is to uh, be one of the first um, um, space tourists uh, straight away attracted me to it. So, so it's been a long wait. I think we're getting, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid it's going to be no time for, um, for cooking or baking. You know, it could have been the you know, everlasting souffle, for example. <laughs> that would have been quite fun. But no, it's going to be... Um, no, uh, no time to do uh, to do anything because I think it's just going to be like it's so quick. Uh, it's going to be five minutes of um, of you know uh, no gravity, so you're going to have to make the most of it. So the last thing you want to do is to um, is to uh, start eating something or or creating yeah. something when you are up there. We heard about the future there with uh, outer space galactic travels. What can you tell us about the future of Magimix? What's in store in Goddard? Oh, well, yeah, well, we're, go we're going to space as well. We're <laughs> going to be the first mag first food processor. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, what's the future? I think it's just really continued joining the dots. And, and what I mean by that is my job I see is we produce great machines in our France factory and we continue to do that uh, 50 years after inventing the food processors. So we're still hand-making the machines in France. And my job is to make sure that those find the home in the UK market and, and everyone you know who's passionate about food, who loves eating as a family, who wants to create fresh, healthy food, is, is a deserving, you know, recipient of a Magimix. And my job is really just to try and join those dots up. So we're, we're working with retailers, we're working with influencers, we're working with cookery schools, um, because I think Eric will confirm, you know, the more you use these machines, the more you realise how much they can play a part in your everyday life. And then suddenly these light bulb moments go off and saying, oh, wow, if I can make if I can make egg whites, I can make um, Swiss meringue. And if I can make Swiss meringue, then I can make a dessert that incorporates Swiss meringue. And it, it's that sort of, like like Eric said, becoming that chemist, that alchemist, that that inquiring mind mm. that leads to more and more interesting food. But you don't have to be an excellent chef to use a Magimix. 
it's also there for just providing a great efficient workhorse and for me the cookery schools is great fun we've launched a really exciting new product which is blending uh, our traditional food processes with cooking capabilities and that that completely blows the lid off what these machines can do because we've all been always been multifunctional but adding a cooking element takes it to another level so now you can temper chocolate if, if to put in eric's language tempering chocolate or making I'm impressed. <laughs> is this the cook expert steve that you're this talking is about the cook expert it's amazing because you know when you want when you want to be precise you know you have to be precise and, and chemistry food is chemistry and setting a cook expert can be set to one degree increments in heat mm. you can you can have a ve- infant variable speed of the of the blade turning and you can have time. And when you combine those three elements, time, speed and heat, you've got, you know, you've got all the ingredients, as it were, to, to, to make an infinite number of dishes. And, and with, with an app that gives hundreds and hundreds of recipes, anyone can produce really good quality food day in, day out and, for, and a variety of it. it doesn't, you don't have to fall into a sort of midweek meal trap of the same food day in, day out. You know, I think sometimes... We're guilty of that. Mm. But with a magic mix, what have you got in your fridge? Use up those leftovers, use up those vegetables, throw some meat in it if you want, you know, and make pudding while they're eating the main in the same machine. It's it's a really multifunctional, versatile, speed time saving machine. Eric, how's your experience? Been yeah, that? it's well, first of all, um, what I would say with my cook expert, it's it's sitting on my kitchen top, which front is always a good sign. Front and center, is it? Yeah. Because if it, well, first of all, it's good looking, but <laughs> it's um, it's not just that. It's uh, that mean you are actually using it. There's nothing. It's always a bad sign when um, your kitchen equipment is still in a box or <laughs> it's in a cupboard and it takes huge effort to pull him out. You're never going to use it, or no, you know, it's going to take too much mine. trouble. So yeah. it's always a good sign. Mine is there, and um, I I. I'm falling in love with it, you know. I I got it only recently, and I'm discovering um, a new way of cooking. And it's great because you know you do learn your your kind of basic from it, and it's got all the informations and, and a beautiful book who come on the app, and then that phenomenal uh, Facebook community yeah. with a lot of French people involved as well because the French love it. Yeah, they are <laughs> like uh, in France, it's been there for a long time, so they're so used to it and. Uh, I think some people like to keep it as a secret. Uh, they, they think, oh, it's like cheating. But I don't think it is cheating. I think it's just a, like you say, it's like having a sous chef. You know, you do it and the machine do it when you having a glass of um, something fizzy with your guests when uh, uh, when they all happening in the uh, in a mixer. But I'm having so much fun with it. And the other thing, and you, I know you mentioned it as well, is um, I've been using all the leftovers. Ah. Because I'm always guilty. I'm a terrible shopper, or I get invited at the last minute to uh, to dinners or an event or something, and then there's those vegetables who are rotting in my fridge, and then they end up in a bin. Not anymore. Now they goes in, and when you know the combination, how to make a great soup or a great stew, you can start to go all pieced and uh, do your own. Um, and uh, do your own things, and um, and I think it's brilliant. It's absolutely um, and isn't it great brilliant. that you make something that you're you're it's it's made it better than you would make it yourself, sort of thing. Like you know, I'm always so proud when I put something down, but I'm actually knowing that it it helped like me more than I helped it, so to speak. I know. I, I mean, I got this new my pea soup is now the um, 
you know, the uh, the talk of the town, is it? The talk of the town. And I go like, there's no way I could make that PC as good if I didn't have (laughs) the the cook expert. Take us into that kitchen. Tell us what is the Cake Boy experience? Well, we opened Cake Boy... um, almost 16 years ago. I always start to remember. Uh, yeah, I think it was 16 years ago. Originally, we had a wholesale business. Um, that's how um, uh, I went into business uh, in the UK in 95. Mm-hmm. But um, after a while, we decided to uh, to move to uh, to retail. And I always wanted a baking school. I always wanted to, because you know what? I was so fed up to hear people saying, oh, I can't bake, it's too complicated, making excuses. And that was well before the bake-off, I have to say. Sure. And um, uh, come up. But I knew people deep inside wanted to learn. So I thought, one day I'm going to open my own baking school and I'm going to show them. And actually, it's not that difficult. You can do it simply. So um, so we took the jump and we opened this, uh, we t- bought this uh, premises on a river in uh, in Battersea. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people said, oh, you should call it... Um, you should call it Eric's Patisserie. And I go like, no, it can't be. You know, that sounds awful to start with. And I didn't want to play the French card. Okay. Because I've got internationals and I like mixing things. And I wanted something really cool. And when I was actually working in Luxembourg all these years ago, I remember, and I used to wait for the bus to go to my uh, sad bedsit on my own. Um, the bus stop was opposite this fabulous cocktail bar. And it was always a cube. And... Um, that cocktail bar was called, I can't remember the, the name, but uh, I remember it looked fantastic. It was quite minimalist, but it always had a queue outside. And I said, one day I'm going to have a patisserie like this. That's the style I want. Ah. And I want a queue outside and like this. So that's how Cake Boy ideas came, came up. So it was a mixture of chic cocktail bar, uh, chic enough for people to feel, oh, I feel really special to sit there or to grab my coffee from here. But at the same time, not too shishi like some of the French patisserie, classic French patisserie, where you feel like you need a mortgage to, yeah. to come in. Um, I mean, some of our customers, mostly the ones who work around the area, they grab a coffee and they more a croissant with pain au chocolat in the morning on the way to work. Then they come back at lunchtime to grab oh. a salad or a sandwich. And then in the afternoon, they probably come back again to get another coffee and um, a piece of cakes or something, or maybe do their meetings um in uh in the shop as well so um so it need to be kind of affordable but giving that je ne sais quoi who will make them feel very special with the service the decor and of course the cookery school or the baking school is integrated so it's all open plan so when we run the classes anybody you walk in get a bit of experience of it and uh, usually it's good laughters because oh, wow. people are, uh people who bake are usually nice people you know it's um it's a very great bunch you know and uh we have we had great fun i love running the classes we always get a nice mixture of people and people go like what's going on there i said oh they go in class and usually we get you know a couple of signing you know oh, wow. because people didn't don't realize why we're there so and there's plenty of different places to sit as well so and everybody's got their favorite one there's a espresso bar the window if you want to you know, look at the uh, the crowd outside. You can sit outside, and we've got the nice sitting area, which is quite glamorous. But then some people like to sit in a communal kitchen uh, kitchen table, mm. where 
where you can put your laptop and work from there as well. So Eric. it's quite a cool thing. And we got great loop. The first meeting we had with the architect, <laughs> yeah. they said, okay, Eric, give me your vision, what you would like. And I said, I want some beautiful loot with different sound system than the one into the shop. And they go like, what? What about the kitchen? And I say, I don't really care. I just want beautiful <laughs> loot. But it's the most talking point. You look online, people talk about the loot. <laughs> um, so we got some nice jazzy, chill music playing in the shop. But when you go to the loo, it's like disco music. Eric, People don't want to come out from the loo. <laughs> I'm, I'm in um, Acton and I, I ride my fold-up Brompton bicycle everywhere. I'm going to be riding to Battersea. The sun's out. I'm going to find my favourite table and I'm going to have a dance in your toilet. Absolutely. Me <laughs> <laughs> too. Me too. That's a date, really Steve. Right? We'll have to go. No, but I'm t it sounds amazing. Listen, Let guys. Let's be in Eric's loo, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> people will talk it wouldn't be the first time would it <laughs> guys you've been brilliant and uh, I can't thank you both enough for taking time to share your experiences your technologies your passion for uh, making cooking easier simpler and fun and fantastic thank you so much for your time today well, and thanks for the great work that Quiet Mark does as well I think that's you're sending out a really good vibe and, and the message is 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 all about you know the passion of of managing sound better in our ever noisy environments which is is Absolutely. a great thing it's a really good thing thank you very much i'm hitting the record button again because i forgot to ask a really important question eric does mummy hyacinth bouquet like cake boy does she what does, Does she like Cake Boy? And have you paid her back in in cake from Cake oh, Boy? Oh yes, yeah, definitely. I'm seeing her this weekend, so I will bring plenty of cakes and um, plenty of British things. Oh. I already bought um, I already bought her the the um, tea towel, the Jubilee Platinum. Jubilee. No, you. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's true. It's true. The Brilliant. the sets of tea towel and the uh, special um, the special cup. Um, Oh, she, she's going to love it. So Love that. With you, right. I'm surprised you, I wouldn't be surprised if you could get a signed copy as well. You've cooked for royalty. Well, you know, the um, when I was working with Piano Cruises, I got presented to the Queen when we launched Britannia and on the front of our patisserie on board, or what used to be our patisserie on board. And I sent my mum a beautiful picture because I knew she would love it, just with me and the Queen and um, having a good chat. And my mum came back and I, I think I put, two or three copies and it was nice nasty one frame and a two or three loose one she came back and she said can you send me 10 more and i was like what are you <laughs> gonna do with them like, oh to give to everybody in the village <laughs> i think she was just like throwing them to anybody who came uh, in she was really. like she sounds oh, no. classic she really does